Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you for being here. As always, thanks for listening and thanks for your, well, your ears. Thank you for having ears. I don't know if I've said that enough to you guys down the years, but thank you. Thank you. And thank you, nature. Thank you, evolution, for giving us sticky out things on the side of our heads with which we can hear. Where would we be without them? We just look like weird, snake-headed fools, the lot of us. But thankfully, that is not something we have to contend with in this particular dimension. So we will carry on with the show. Today, Friday, is Transfer Deadline Day. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of an underwhelming Transfer Deadline Day, isn't it? Because there's a weird thing going on. We've made a signing. And potentially, by the time you've listened to this, we will have made another one, or we're very close to making one. It will go through on transfer deadline day, uh, that being Cedric Suarez from Southampton, having already signed Pablo Marie from Flamengo. But I do feel as, as if there isn't quite the same anxiety over the transfer market that there would have been if, let's say... Unai Emery was still in charge. Let's say that Raul Sanyehi had got his way and given him a, a new seven-year contract in the summer and it was too expensive for us to fire him and he was still in charge and we were desperate for players to make things better. I think there would be much more angst. People would be far more on edge about what we did or didn't do in the market. And this time around, I feel like we're sort of looking at it in a more... Um, objective way, if you like, because we've already had to kind of take a step back, reassess, take stock and say, well, this is a bit shit. It's kind of really bad. This is going to take more than a couple of January signings to make better. So let's strap ourselves in, make a flask and a couple of sandwiches and just get on board for the ride as Mikel Arteta turns the great ship of Arsenal around slowly turning it around and around until I've got to turn around this way, but the cables, so it comes this way and we've turned around again and now the cables are all caught up in the chair. I really didn't think this through. Hang on, fucking headphone cunts, fuck you. Anyway, so the fact that things have been bad and are getting a bit better and we can see a kind of 
um, progress and we can see that there's a project here that needs to be undertaken and it needs to be undertaken properly and that uh, recruitment is an area which which needs to be improved as much as any other at the club, we're kind of willing to say, well, maybe January isn't the best time to sign players. Maybe we're just going to have to wait until the summer and do it properly. Now, uh, you might have reservations about the people doing it properly who didn't necessarily do it properly last time around. I mean, I get that. But I just feel like because of where we are and what we need to do, people have been a a lot more chilled in in my experience um, when it comes to this particular January window. Because normally there is a measure of like, come on, sign sign someone. You better fucking sign someone. You better sign them or else. And it's not quite there. I don't think that's there. You know, not on my timeline and not in the mentions and not in the in the replies on Twitter, social media and blog comments and all that kind of stuff. Of course, people like signings. Everyone likes signings. Everyone would like us to make signings. But I think there's a realization that we kind of have to make better signings than we have in the past. And look, the two players that we've brought in, I hope they do. Or I say that we've only brought in one player as I speak, but I'm making the assumption that Suarez uh, is going to come in from from Southampton. Uh, You know, I think both of them are players who might be able to give us a help between now and the end of the season. I don't think they're players who are going to change this squad and make it markedly better. They might give it a bit more depth between now and May because we do have to concentrate on Premier League. We do have to concentrate on the FA Cup. We do have to concentrate on the Europa League because there are things that we can play for. And if we've got a deeper, bigger squad, it might make our chances of of winning games better. Simple as that. Are they world beaters? No. Are we signing them on a permanent basis? It seems not. Maybe we will with Suarez, I don't know. But with Pablo Marie, it's definitely a loan deal. And if he doesn't really impress between now and May, that's that. We call it quits. He goes back to Flamengo and, you know, we continue our search for for a central defender. Um, I mean, I do get people who say, uh, or have worries about loan signings because many of them haven't worked out in the past. You know, when you look at the uh, the track record and the history of our loan signings, not many of them have been particularly good. So if Suarez and Pablo Marie can book the trend, then all the better. I do think as well it's not unreasonable to be slightly concerned about the provenance of the two players. I mean, again, let me make this very clear. I hope they are good, and I hope they play really well for Arsenal, and I hope they can contribute something to the team and the squad between now and the end of the season. Uh, That goes without saying. It should go without saying. But I do think the fact that Pablo Marie is a client of uh, one of Raul's best agent friends, and the fact that Suarez is a client of George Mendes, who we used as a a go-between to get the deal for Nicolas Pepe over the line, I just think it's it's okay to be a little bit concerned. I think you have to, as a football club in this day and age, deal with the agents. You have to. You can't just not deal with them. And these big agents have lots of good players. But they also are not, um, what's the word I'm going to use here? They're kind of in it for themselves, agents. Many of them. I don't want to tar all of them with the same brush, but, you know, it's their job to get the best deal possible for the player because it works out well for them, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you have to deal with agents. I just, you know, have a few little concerns, a few little alarm bells ringing over the last number of deals that we've done. For example, you know, Pepe, 
uh, George Mendes involved in that. And Arsenal's head of football is Raul Sanyehi. His former Barcelona colleague, Mark Ingla, was the director general of Lille. Two guys who know each other very, very, very well. They couldn't work out a deal together. Had to bring in George Mendes. David Luiz. Kia Jurabchian is his agent. One of the big super agents. Also uh, very closely linked with Edu. Sanyehi's buddy, Arturo Canales, who was the guy who basically brought Unai Emery to Arsenal by convincing him that he had a very good chance of getting the job, which, you know, it turns out he did. And he did get the job. But he's the agent of Pablo Marie. And, of course, George Mendes is the agent of, of Cedric Suarez. So when you look at the last number of deals that we've done, they've involved those big agents. You know, I get it. Some people will say, well, that's just what you do to get deals done. And, you know, one of the reasons these guys are are, are, are successful agents is because they have lots of players. So if you say, uh, we need a central defender, he goes, well, actually, I've got a central defender. Or we need a right back. It just so happens that I've got a right back that would be perfect for you. Maybe that's exactly what it was. You know, using those contacts, it was expedient. It helped us do business in January at a very difficult time. If that's what it is, then that's what it is. But, you know, if it looks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, and it quacks like a duck, chances are it's a duck. Unless it's a vulture disguised as a duck. I just, you know... I'm not suggesting that there's any impropriety whatsoever. And again, I hope these guys are fantastic players for Arsenal. I just think it's worth considering the recruitment process and how deals get done. Just something to think about. That's all. Just something to think about. Right, well, look, let's get on with the show. And I'm going to assume that Cedric Suarez will become an Arsenal player in the next 24 hours or before the end of the window. And we're going to talk about him. We're going to talk about Pablo Marie. And I'm also going to make the assumption that, you know, the uh, the recruitment wasn't simply based on Raul Sanyehi's contacts book, but also looking at the suitability of the players for the kind of football that we want to play. Perhaps looking at their statistics and their metrics and obviously what they do on the pitch. So with me to discuss the two guys... Uh, from a statistical point of view and where they might fit in the team and everything else. Uh, from 7 a.m. kickoff, it's Tim. Hello, Tim. Hello. Hello. Let's talk first about uh, Pablo Marie, a central defender who has come from Flamengo and he's come to Arsenal in a very unconventional route, it would be said, that he, he went to England, he went to Manchester City. He didn't play for them, but he spent a season at Girona in the second division in Spain, a season with uh, in the Eredivisie in the first division in Holland, and then another season in the second division in Spain with Deportivo La Coruña. He then went to uh, Flamengo. Um, he seems to have come into himself, uh, if that's not an unusual phrase, but seems to have taken a step forward uh, in Brazil in terms of how he's performed, and, and they seem uh, to be very happy with, with what he's done there. What is it in him, do you think, um, that Arsenal have looked at and said, yes, this is a guy that we want to bring in um, to help us for the rest of the season? Well, the first thing that stood out was that he won 71% of his tackles. So now, obviously, the different divisions, different leagues, different um, speeds and different ways that the games are played. But having a center back who wins, you know, over 70% of their tackles is a, is, a, is a huge 
improvement over some of the things that we've had <laughs> here at Arsenal. Um, and I, I'm not, I don't hate Mustafi as a human being, um, but this season he's definitely way down um, in terms of his, it feels like in terms of his uh, overall uh, attitude, he seems really low. And that shows up in the stats. He's only won 29% of his tackles. Now, that is one count. Um, there's a whole bunch of different counts. I'm using the one from Statbomb. Okay. So he's he's only won 29% of his tackles um, there. And he's being dribbled past over one time per game. So compared to Mari, is it Mari or Mari? Well, he's, he's, he's got, the accent is on the end. It's on the I, so it would lead okay. you to believe it's Pablo Mari. Okay, Marie. Um, Marie has only been dribbled about 0.4 times per 90, and Mustafi about 1.3 times per 90. 1.3. So, so, I mean, what is the what is the sort of, I mean, is there an average, or do you know that off the top of your head when it comes to a central defender? I don't know that off the top of my head. Okay. But I know that that's too many for us. <laughs> yes, I think we can all see that with our eyes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's the the first thing. The second thing is, is he's really good with his passes, Um now, of course, Flamengo play uh, possession-type football, but that's what we're going to play. And um, he's a 93% passer, regular passer. So he he actually looks a lot like David Luiz in that 50% long bombs, 93% regular passes. Both of them are excellent tacklers. They both win possession about the same amount of times, about 0.8 times per 90 for each of their tackles. Mm-hmm. That's really good. And um, they both intercepted about the same rate. So uh, it's overall, he looks almost, he looks a lot like a carbon copy of David, David Luiz. Right. What about uh, his aerial ability, given that he is six foot three yeah. uh, and, you know, he would add some height to, to the center of our defense. I mean, we've had a, it feels to me anyway, like we've had a succession of kind of six foot center halves, which is not a bad yeah. height to be, but sometimes you need the guy who's six foot three, six foot four, or, you know, six foot six, six foot seven, the, the, the BFG uh, guy who can, <laughs> who can just add that something uh, at the center of your defense to, to deal with aerial bombardment. Um, what do we know about uh, Marie in terms of his aerial game? Well, it's not, they don't, they don't have a lot. I mean, he doesn't, he isn't called to do it a lot. Uh, so he's only 69%. That sounds low, but actually David Luiz is 55%. Chambers, who you would think, you know, big Englishman is 53%. Mm. Um, and Socrates is 68%. So he's right there in that, in that range of our, he would be one of our better aerial duelists, if you will. Sure. Um, but one of the things I found was odd was when, um, Mertesacker made the jump from, the Bundesliga to the English Premier League. He lost a few points off of his um, aerial duel percentage, but also um, he wasn't challenged as much in aerial duels. And it wasn't that he wasn't trying, but what you find is when you have a big player like that, as you know, you play center half, they teams will try to play around you. They won't, they're not going to play it. They're not going to try to get you into an aerial duel mm. with a guy who's six foot three. So that would also explain some of his lower numbers, but yeah, he's, he won two and a half out of 3.6. So that's comparable to um, Socrates, who won three out of 4.4. David Luiz, who's taller than Socrates, won 1.6 out of 2.9. Mm. So he's up there in that. Um, again, the Brasiliaro, I probably, mis- I probably murdered that, is um, 
different than the Premier League for sure. So he's going to have a challenge there, and I'm sure that the teams are going to come after him to start. But we'll see how he holds his own. That's an interesting thing to look at as he goes along. Yeah, I think what yeah what Tim wrote in in the profile is that Flamengo are a very dominant team. So he's. He's uh, he's in a team which aren't not that they're not tested, but who tend to dominate games, and and uh, that's not been the case with Arsenal. It's fair to say um, for this not season, yet. you know, not yet things are changing, but yeah. you know, we'll yeah. we'll come to that. Don't worry. Um, so, from a statistical point of view, we're looking at a guy who is uh, a good passer. He's a good distributor. Um, has got mm-hmm. good long ball distribution as well. A good tackler, uh, mm-hmm. decent in the air. Um, it's a matter really of adaptation and seeing whether or not he can make it in, in you know, make the, the step up in terms of energy to Premier League. Statistically, yeah. from what we've seen of him, um, he, he ranks uh, he ranks highly against what we've got. Yes, I, I would put him, I put him up there. I think he's going to give some competition for, um, well, you and I had a little discussion about this already, but yeah. I think he's going to give some competition to Socrates. He's, he's, um, he's, I, I'm. I have to say, I'm. I'm excited. I'm excited for this. For this guy, he. He seems like uh, the kind of defender that we've wanted for a long while. He's left-footed, which we don't have very often. I think was Koscielny our last one. No, he wasn't left-footed. Vermalen was our last one. So there you go. Yeah. Um, and it's difficult to find those guys. And when you can find them, if they can distribute, mm. it's a great. It's it's a great benefit to mm. the team. Um, I, lo- I looked at the stats for the Liverpool game, the the cup final. Oh, yeah. The Club World Cup final. Mm-hmm. I'll just read, read some of those off to you. He was um, three for four in the tackle, uh, so that's good. He was uh, he made a tackle successfully in the 18-yard box. Um, he I think he led their team in clearances with seven. Yep. So he cleared the ball quite a bit. He played extremely left. It was unusually far left. Um, almost in the left back position, right? And I think I think Tim wrote about that in his column that um, Felipe Luis allowed Felipe Luis to go forward quite a bit. Mm. So so actually, you see, Mari uh, Mari's passing numbers are really low in this game. Um, obviously, you've got Liverpool adding a lot of pressure, which they do. Um, Eighty, I say low. They're eighty-one <laughs> percent. Uh, you have Liverpool adding a lot of pressure, and then also he's playing in a much more forward left role than I would expect from a, a center half. Right. So all of those things. I mean, I, I think overall he had a really good game. Um, didn't make any mistakes and and uh, made that one imp- important tackle in the fourth minute of that of that uh, game. Yeah, I suppose a good, a good marker as well, considering who he was playing against, Liverpool. Are, as we can all see, a, a really brilliant team at the moment, and Salah, Mane, Firmino, uh, they've got such threat going forward. So to to do well and to to match up against what they've got to offer is is very interesting. So we'll wait and see. Um, oh, yeah. I wanted to add one last thing. Sure. So one of the things that's odd about David Luiz is that he has incredibly good entry passes into the final third. Yeah. Um, he averages three point six final third passes, and then almost a half of a pass into the penalty area per 90. That's really great for a center half. Yeah. So I look, I looked at that Liverpool game and with Marie playing really high up the pitch, he had seven passes in the, in the final third. So that averages out to about five, five or so mm. per 90. 
So it looks like he can do the business of getting the ball forward, which is something that I think Arteta is trying to do with the center backs. Mm. Certainly, when you look at the way we're we're uh, we've got this left sided bias now in terms of attack over the last oh, number yeah. of weeks. You know, with Saka, the way that Shaka is slotting back into that sort of auxiliary left back position to distribute the ball down the left hand side, and also it gives you somebody who can switch play as well. You know, if you bring everybody with you, then you bang a long ball with your left foot to the other side of the pitch. It's an interesting tactic. So uh, it will be interesting to see, you know, how he fits in, where he fits in, if he's, you know, going to make it into the first team alongside David Luiz or be a backup for him. We'll we'll wait and see. So let's talk uh, Suarez, Southampton, right back, 28 years of age, Portuguese international, um, almost out of contract. Um, It's a bit of a surprise, you know, considering we have Hector and we have Ainsley Maitland-Niles. But it does obviously feel as if Mikel Arteta has wanted, what's the word I'm going to look for, an established uh, right back mm. to to provide competition for or understudy Hector Bellerin. You know, as well as Maitland-Niles has done, he has said he doesn't really want to play there. He doesn't fancy it there. So, you know, he's got Kolasinac and Tierney on the left when they're fit. In the meantime, Saka's doing a great job. Um, but on the right-hand side, he does only have... Uh, Hector Bellerin as an established right back, regardless of how well uh, uh, Maitland-Niles has done. So what is it about Suarez that has made us go, this is the guy? Do you think it's how he has performed statistically? Or is it it the, the case that he's got only a couple of months left on his contract? We can do a relatively cut price deal on him if we decide to to go that way it's expedience it's availability is that what's driving this one more than performance um yeah i i actually i'm actually at a little bit of a loss with this player he's only played um 31 total full 90s for southampton in the last two years right so that's not a lot of data i mean it's it's an okay amount of data but the numbers I see for him are, are not outstanding in any way. Um, you know, 68% tackler. He's just a poor, poor dribbler. He doesn't even try this season in particular. He doesn't even try to dribble. He does win the ball quite a bit, but it's, it's a very odd, it's a very odd, um, signing. Um, I'll just quickly, some of his stats are that are really good are, um, oops, wrong thing. I always click on the wrong thing. Tell me about it. <laughs> uh, so he is a 70% tackler this season. Okay. So that's good. Again, just yep. a lot like um, Marie. Uh, Bellerin is also having a very poor game tackling uh, this season, only 33%. And I can't quite figure out why, because his interceptions numbers are back to his regular. I, I would say that's the injury. And I'd say it's about trusting his knee and and being sure that when he goes know. into a tackle, I think that's one of the, the, the things players have to get over is this psychological fear of, of going into tackles. I think probably the data set with Bellerin is quite small as well, isn't it? This season, it he's is. only played eight or 10 games uh, at the most. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but the thing I'm thinking is if we're not going to play Ainsley Maitland Niles, then what are they looking for mm. in bringing Suarez in? And I think the first thing is his tackle numbers are, are very good. Uh, Bellerin has been dribbled 2.6 times per 90. <laughs> so it's not just bad, it's real bad. So, um, so bringing in somebody like Suarez who can beef up the defense, I think, I think that's got to be the, the, the point of this signing. That said, 
he has some kind of unusual numbers all around. His passes into the final third are 0.8, whereas Bellerin are 0.51 this season. Again, that's this season mm. um, where he's still recovering from injury. And Suarez's crosses into the pa- into the penalty area are almost half half across per game, whereas Bellerin's 0.26 and Ainsley Maitland-Niles is 0.1. So right. it's not even comparable. I mean, so if Suarez can get forward, he is seems to me like, according to the data, a pretty good crosser of the ball. Yeah. So we might be looking for something like that. I, I wonder, uh, sorry to cut across, I just wonder, is that yeah. um, when it comes to Bellerin, when it comes to Maitland-Niles and their crosses and, and what have you, I wonder, is that in some ways a, um, a consequence of the way that we're playing, uh, you know, w- with Arteta in particular, I think the right back doesn't overlap anywhere near as much as the left back. Um, and I know you're working on data across a whole season, so that could be just a, yeah. a, a pie eye theory that I came up with without thinking uh, thinking it through fully enough. But it does feel like the left back has got a bit more license to get forward, which seemed to be the case last season as well with Kalasinac. That a lot of what yeah. we did was down the left. Yeah, no, so, no, those are both. I think the I agree with you in terms of. My eye test as well, what I've seen from um, Maitland-Niles is that I think um, Arteta is either holding him back or he's not able to make those kinds of connections with Pepe the way that, that Saka and um, mm. and uh, and other uh, forwards on the left have made, especially Martinelli. That was, that's obviously a good combination there. So, yeah, I think you're right that, that Maitland-Niles has been held back a little bit, which does then, again, if you've if you go out and get a really good tackler or somebody who's really solid in defense, that does make a lot of sense. If you're not trying to get forward on the right-hand side, mm. then having somebody who's a solid defender who can back up Bellerin, I yeah. think is a pretty decent call. All right. Well, look, again, we'll wait and see how he does. And um, we're making the assumption at the time of recording that he is going to sign. So hopefully we, we haven't put the, the markers on this one. Um, let's just talk very quickly uh, a couple of little things about Mikel Arteta and how he's stacking up compared to what came before him. Um, <laughs> what are What is maybe the one statistical thing that stands out of Mikel Arteta's very short we have to say, rain so far. It's only been six weeks or whatever it is, maybe not even that, um, in comparison to what Unai Emery was producing. What what has Arteta done that stands out in the stats? Well, it's definitely the defense. I mean, the, the number of shots that we've conceded per game um, is down from 16.1 this season under Arteta to around 11 under... Um, Emery. I mean, excuse me, excuse me. The other way around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Flip those around. Yeah. God. I'll have to, I'll have to do some pendants for that. Uh, <laughs> Emery's arsenal allowed 16 shots a game. Yeah. Arteta's arsenal is around 11. So I think that's a huge, that's a huge improvement. Um, we haven't seen quite the improvement in the offense yet, but, um, but I think that that's coming. Um, I don't, know when but we <laughs> we we hope to see a little bit more control of the games we actually we're seeing a lot more control of the games mm. which is why the shots numbers are down the defensive midfielders are holding position a lot better which is helping to cover the defense and then what we need to do now is try to figure out a way to get um the ball forward a little bit better and so i think that that's coming i i, I 
I would watch every interview <laughs> from Mikel Arteta, and I I believe it. I believe that he's uh, he he's moving this incrementally in that direction. Yeah, I think that's the thing. You, you, I don't think you can be a good, effective attacking team unless you have some kind of a defensive platform or some idea what you're doing defensively. It just, it's just not possible. Not possible yeah. to to produce not consistent numbers from an attacking point of view unless you've got a platform from which to attack. Otherwise, you see what happened to us at Watford, for example. It just you just get turned around, and the opposition gets a record number of shots on goal, and you know everyone's going crazy. So yeah, um, well look. That is going to be the next thing uh, that we'll look for in, in the stats, obviously, and hopefully the the amount of shots we take can increase, the amount of shots we allow can decrease a little mm-hmm. bit further. But you know, to take nearly fifty percent off uh, what we were conceding in a, in a very short period of time is a big improvement, isn't it? Yeah, and to do it without just packing the defense in and playing, you know, eight at the back or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's actually doing it that way packing the defense in like that is actually counterintuitive to a lot of people, but that actually is would is the reason why Emery's team allowed so many shots because they were so timid yeah. that they just sat back and that's never good for a team. Uh, the one th- other yeah. thing I'd like to look for with, um, and I don't have the data yet, so I'm, I'm waiting for about 10 games in before I start to start to say anything about this. But one other couple other things is that Emery's arsenal was super passive in terms of defensive, um, duels so in terms of attacking the ball without when they were out of possession tackles interceptions all those things it was a very passive team so for a team that was allowing that many shots they were also passive it was doubly bad so what i'd like to see is whether there's an increase in those numbers as well in terms from from arteta and i i think there will be i've already seen some slight increase in the numbers of tackles from some of the forwards so all those things are 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 really good indicators that we are defending from the front all the way to the back all right well things to keep an eye on and no doubt you'll uh, you'll keep us up to date with those uh, maybe we're uh, overdue a column on our spog news and of course everyone can read uh, your own stuff on on your site 7 a.m kickoff tim thanks very much yep thank you thank you very much indeed to tim find him on twitter at 7 a.m kickoff and of course at 7 a.m kickoff.com now socks are you happy with your socks When you look down this evening and you take off your shoes or your trainers or whatever it might be, and you look at your socks, you peel them off and you throw them towards the linen basket in the room and you miss and you go, God damn fucking socks. And you have to walk all the way to the other side of the room to put your socks in the linen basket. But are you happy with those socks? Could they be better? Could they be more vibrant? Could they be more arsenal? Dare I say it? They could. With thanks to our friends from Soccer Club. That's right. SoccerClub.com have got five pairs of Arsenal socks to give away to lucky Arsecast listeners. All you have to do is send me an email to our competition email address, which is competition at arsblog.com. It's not that difficult, even though every time we do a competition, somebody on Twitter goes, what was the email address for the competition again? And I'm like, come on, dude. You know, seriously, have a think about it. What might it be? And they're like, no, seriously, what is it? And I'm like, come on, just go back. 20 seconds or whatever it is in the podcast and listen to it again and write it down or something. Okay, it's competition at arsblog.com. So competition at arsblog.com. And please, if you wouldn't mind, answer this very, very challenging question. The socks are uh, in the pattern of a very famous Arsenal kit. 
What is that kit? Is it A, pox-ridden pear, B, grizzly grapefruit, or C, bruised banana? If you think you know, email competition at arsblog.com and you could win a pair of socks from soccerclub.com, where soccer is spelt like the word sock. So soccer, like a sock, soccerclub.com. And if you don't win and you still feel like buying some of their socks, you can use the code arsblog10 at checkout to get a 10% discount for the entire month of February. So check out soccerclub.com, enter the competition. I'll give you the winners on next week's show. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This week, Arsenal signed Pablo Marie, 26-year-old central defender on loan from Flamengo. And with me to discuss the signing, what kind of a player he is, and lots more, we've got Marcelo from the uh, Flamengo account, which is Flamengo, uh, E-N-G, Flamengo Ing on Twitter. Uh, How are you, Marcelo? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Not bad at all. So let me ask you uh, this question first, because I think... You can you can read a lot into how a player is perceived by the reaction to his departure from a football club. You know, sometimes a club can sell a player and people are like, Whew. other times they're like, no. Um, what what's the general reaction among Flamengo fans been to to his departure? Well, uh, he uh, we're definitely going to miss him. You know, um, uh, we believe that uh, Mar- Pablo Mari was a huge of huge importance to adapting to the new style of defending that our coach, Jorge Jesus, was trying to implement a more uh, high defensive line. Mm. More, more or less what you guys are used to seeing over there in uh, most uh, European leagues, you know, the major clubs, which is, however, in Brazil or in South America, it's really not the way uh, they try to play. So uh, when Jorge Jesus, uh, you know, arrived during the summer, which you guys, for you guys, is off season for us, is in the middle of the season because we followed the calendar year. Uh, you know, he was trying to implement a high defensive line, and uh, for, you know, the center backs that we had on, on our squad, they weren't aware, they didn't know how to play like that. And so, the importance of Pablo Mari uh, coming from Europe, and as soon as he arrived, he got right into the, our starting lineup and really helped uh, George Jesus implement a high defensive line, and uh, also with the teammates, uh, you know, with, uh, alongside his uh, teammate. 
uh, and defensive uh, and defend uh, Skyo. Uh, so, um, you know, he uh, settled in right away. So uh, we're definitely going to miss him out here. And, um, you know, we hope uh, we wish him all the success of Arsenal. Uh, sure. Arsenal, of course. What, was, what were the expectations when he arrived? Because, you know, he's he's come back to England having gone there initially to Manchester City, but he never played for Man City. And, you know, they've had some... They've had some iffy central defenders in their time, it would be fair to say. Uh, but he never managed to make the breakthrough. He spent quite a bit of time in the Spanish second division. When when he signed, you know, the, the route from from uh, England to Spain to Brazil back to England is is very rare. What were the sort of expectations of him when he arrived in Brazil? And, and uh, you know, did he live up to them or did he exceed those expectations? Well, he definitely exceeded because we didn't know much about him. Uh, the only thing that we, uh, once Flamengo signed him, that we knew that after reading about him was that he was, you know, he was uh, under a contract with Man City but never got playing time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we didn't know anything about him and uh, we didn't know what to expect. Uh, so as far as, uh, you know, hoping what we would see, he definitely exceeded just on, on, on the fact that we didn't know uh, anything about, you know, uh, his CV. And, and you know, yeah. like I said before, he really adapted well. I mean, he arrived, uh, you know, no in the middle of the season, uh, you know, no, no no real time to train because as soon as he arrived, you know, we had a fixture the next day. And, uh, you know, he played, I believe, once he signed, he played like about five to six days after signing for Flamengo. So, uh, you know, so he he uh, really adapted quickly. So, you know. Sure. And in, in terms of what, what kind of a defender he is, um, how would you how would you categorize him? I mean, you speak about uh, George Jesus wanting to play a high defensive line. I've seen some people talk maybe that perhaps he's not the quickest defender. Um you know how does he how does he work within that 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 particular system? Is that something? Um, is that a part of his game that can be exposed? If that is a weakness in his game, you know, is it is it more difficult to uh, to talk about that because um, Flamengo have been so successful and so dominant? You know, has he really been tested in that regard as a, as a defender? Well, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch because, you know, uh, playing the high defensive line in, in South America in general, you, you really don't see it. So, uh, but, you know, playing in the Premier League, it's a whole different ball game. Now, you also, I believe you also have to take into consideration, you know, the the current conditions of your center backs. You know, mm. you have you, you guys are dealing with a lot of issues. <laughs> yeah. And even when, even, and even when you're not, you know, I, 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 I don't, I'll be quite honest, I don't, I don't follow the Premier League that close, but I do follow, you know, I try to follow, keep myself updated. And I do see the, uh, let's just say, some frustrations with Arsenal fans <laughs> as, as far as their sandbags. Yeah. Uh, the, David Luiz is a real, we know him very well over in, in sure. Brazil. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think you guys giving, taking that into consideration and the emergency you guys have uh, for, you know, putting in, signing a center back. Um, I, I really think he can adapt well. Uh, it's going to be a reality check, of course, because, you know, the, the levels of, of uh, quality of uh, matches from comparing Brazil to the Premier League is mm. a huge gap. Uh, but I, I think he has, uh, uh, as far as, 
uh, something that could help him is that when he signed with Man City, Arteta was in the Man City uh, coaching staff. So Arteta knows some about him. So I'm pretty sure that uh, once the opportunity was there to sign him, uh, I believe Arteta uh, is banking on him being, uh, uh, you know, being a contributing uh, a defender uh, to help you guys and you know, while you guys. Uh, your, your center bags heal and um, should be he should be a, a nice fit. I, I really think that he's going to come through. And you know, in second, you know, you guys didn't really the the few guys com- are committed to him. It's not really a, a big amount of money when we're talking Premier League budget. So yeah, uh, even if it doesn't work out, I believe you guys, you know, you, you got it, it shouldn't shouldn't hurt you guys that much. What would you say uh, will be the biggest challenges for him when it comes to the Premier League and adapting to, to Premier League football football versus the kind of football that he's playing in, in Brazil? We know that Mikel Arteta wants Arsenal to be much more a possession-based team, which I think, from what we understand, and we, we did a little bit of a stats uh, piece on him earlier, his passing is is very, very good. He's a very solid passer of the football, so that will suit him, obviously. But in terms of what the, the Premier League might throw at him in terms of, uh, you know, physical challenges, those kind of things, is, you know, what would you, what would you say is the thing that he's going to have to overcome first? Uh, first will be the actual fitness because over here players are just beginning to come back to start the season. So he's been on mm. vacation for the past thirty days. Uh, so I don't know, um, you know, condition wise, I don't know if he's ready to jump in. And I believe he is. He was just about to start the preseason uh, training over here uh, in, at Flamengo this week. I think he had maybe two or three days of preseason workouts, but uh, at most, if, if that. But uh, you know, so fitness might be uh, an issue. He may need a few days to get you know get up to up to speed on 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 his fitness in order to play. Um, but besides that, uh, once he once that's worked out, I believe uh, uh, he'll, he'll he'll have a, a, a good impact and uh, on the Premier League. And uh, you guys should. Uh, should really be hopeful for the uh, signing you guys did. Mm. And, you know, if there are weaknesses in his game, um, you know, I, I think it's rare to find a player who is absolutely flawless. So every player has his weaknesses, and it's not to be critical to su- to suggest that a guy might be better in some aspects of the game than the other. You know, from your experience of watching him for Flamengo, what would what would those be? Are there things that you've identified that, you know, he could improve on uh, in his game? Uh, to be quite honest, uh, no. Uh, for us, uh, wow. he, he, yeah, I mean, he, himself in, the, uh, in playing in, in our defense, uh, he, he, he really did almost everything perfectly. Uh, you know, uh, Flamengo set all the records in our, in our national league here mm. as far as points and everything. And we won we won the league in a, you know seven within seven match week, seven match week advance. And we won the Libertadores. Um, yeah. So uh, for us in, in you know in Brazil, he was quite he was near perfect. You know, so wow. I don't know as far as far as the language. I don't know how he maybe a, a language a little no, bit of he's, language. No, he speaks varying, English. But, uh, he speaks English. He does, yeah, yeah. Okay. There you go. So, so you know. If he, he has that as well, so yeah, uh, it, it's just a, it's just a matter for him of adapting 
to the style that's playing in Premier League is coming off uh, a vacation for him. Uh, that might be the biggest hurdle you have to oversee in the, you know, in, in the first few games. Mm. But uh, but as far as his quality and his skills, he, he, you guys have a solid defender there. All right. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah, very interesting yeah. to hear that a guy has been that good. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously... And for a guy that, that no, nobody knew. You know, nobody, nobody knew of him. Well, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, sometimes a player can be a a really late developer. You know, they can they can scratch around in different leagues, and all of a sudden, at a point where you don't really expect them to make a step forward, they they can do that. Um, we've seen it in the past with players who are who are late developers, and they, they blossom into something really good. So, just you know, finally, is there any? expectation on your part or, or the part of Flamengo fans that you won't see him again. We know it's a loan deal. It feels to me like regardless of what happens, Arsenal have, you know, done a deal which probably makes sense to make permanent, given that there's a, a fairly significant outlay uh, for the loan signing. And I, I don't know that um, it would be that much more to, to make the deal permanent. Uh, maybe in the summer we've got a, a bit more money to do that. But, I mean, do you guys have any expectation that he might be back or do you feel like, well, this is it, he's moved on and the Premier League is where he's going to be? No, we, we the, the, the general feeling here is that he's moved on permanently. Uh, considering the, uh, the transfer itself, it's a loan with an option to mm. buy at the end. Uh, the fee, if I'm not mistaken, is you guys laid out about five million euros for yeah. the loan, and then another ten at the end if you guys uh, wish to trigger the option to 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 make it a permanent move. Uh, I, you know, we know that for Premier Leagues, that's not really a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, the, uh, once this deal began uh, happening. Uh, you know, the, the player right away sig- signalized that uh, he he wanted the move to happen. Mm. You know? um, so we don't see him come back. He's you know technically he's still on the contract with us until the end of 2022, but uh, we we don't see that uh, he's gonna come back if mm. by any reason Arsenal does not wish to make it a permanent move. You've already uh, signed a replacement. Isn't that right? Yes, we did. Yeah, the the same night that we announced <laughs> that uh, he was exiting, uh, we signed a replacement for him. So, yeah, I, I I would find it very strange if for any reason he returns to Flamengo after the loan deal is done. Uh, would we would assume that somebody another any other club uh, with the time that he's going to have now at Arsenal, uh, another club might uh, pick up the option on him yeah. for sure. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a, it's an interesting path and one that we haven't seen not at least not in my lifetime. Where you know we have a European player that, that maybe didn't uh, take his opportunities, you know, as you know as he's uh, playing in Europe and you know mm-hmm. gets start getting loaned here and there, and then takes the path of going to a place where he has really no connections, uh, you know, South America, or Brazil. Uh, so you know he he adapts well and has uh, a great six months of play where he catches the attention of a, a major European club that you know is willing mm. to take a shot at him at the age that he is. I mean, you know, if you see what's going on globally in soccer, you know, major European clubs are you know spending their money on very young players from South America to develop them. Mm. Uh, you know, and then uh, you know hopefully that player that investment will work out or pay out, but. You know, to see a player and at 
26 years old that, you know, uh, was not breaking, didn't break through at a younger age, moved to Brazil, had an awesome six months and caught the attention of a major European club and is grabbing, is having another, you know, shot at, you know, playing at a major European, European club. You know, it's interesting to see something. Certainly something that we're not used to seeing. No, we, no, I've never seen it either. You know, not that particular pathway to the Premier League. Um, and maybe, you know, there's something about that and something about his character which says, OK, I'm, I'm willing to do this differently. I'm willing to take a different path to everybody else to, to give myself a chance to do it. And it's worked out for him. It worked out for you guys because he played very well, perfectly for you and helped you achieve, you know, lots, lots of success there. And hopefully he can do the same at Arsenal. Um, Marcelo, listen, thank you very much indeed for your time. Really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, you'll have to keep half an eye on the Premier League now to see how your boy is getting on. No, we'll definitely do it, and we're certainly rooting for him. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks to Marcelo. You can follow him on Twitter if you're interested in Brazilian football or Flamengo. He's at Flamengo ENG, Flamengo ENG, Flamengo English account. And thank you to him for his insight to uh, the new signing, Pablo Marie. Okay, well, this weekend we face Burnley at Turf Moor, our final Premier League game for a couple of weeks because there is a winter break built into this season. We don't play next weekend, but there will be Premier League games. It's staggered. We'll play the weekend after and the teams that play next weekend will have the following week off. So every team gets a two-week break in the middle of the season. Sensible. I think. And when you're Arsenal, when you've had injuries, when you're still in the Euro, uh, Europa League, when you're still in the FA Cup, when you're trying to get back up the table, two weeks off uh, to, uh, to recuperate, recharge the batteries, get some rest into those legs, let some players recover from injury, and crucially, for Mikel Arteta to work on some things tactically uh, on the training ground, rather than just kind of going game to game because they're coming every three days, will be pretty useful. Um, so the club are going to, uh, the team rather, are going to Dubai, I believe, although there are some worries about that. I'm not sure how uh, serious they are about the coronavirus hitting Dubai, so they're uh, keeping an eye on that apparently. But all going well, they will uh, they will do a few days of training there and hopefully get some good work under their belts, come back in a couple of weeks' time. Our, our next game then, I think, is Newcastle at home, uh, and hopefully we'll be fighting fit and ready for that one. But this weekend... We uh, we face a team who are always difficult, but against whom we have got a pretty good record. I think the last time we lost to Burnley was in the Carling Cup in 2008, a team, an Arsenal team, which contained Paul Rogers at right back, Mark Randall, Fran Morita, Amari Bischoff, Amari Bischoff, P.I., even got off the bench to play in that particular game, but we lost 2-0. Uh, at Turf more, But, you know, in general, regardless of how difficult Burnley are, and they are a difficult team to play against, we've got a good record against them. Mikel Arteta will welcome back Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang from suspension, so you imagine he is going to go straight back into the team. And you do wonder where exactly he is going to play. Alexandre Lacazette didn't play in the FA Cup game, so he's had a bit of time off. But will Arteta keep Gabriel Martinelli in the team on the left-hand side and play Aubameyang up front? I don't know. We'll wait and see. The young Brazilian has done plenty to uh, to merit his place in the team. It's about, uh, I guess, who he feels might be more impactful from the bench should he need it. Will it be Lacazette, who doesn't really score a lot of goals away from home? 
should he start with him up front and hope that he can break that duck or should he just play Aubameyang and play Martinelli given he's been in, in good form and playing pretty well, got an assist the other night and uh, you know has got some goals in the last couple of weeks. I think I would be more inclined to keep Martinelli in the team to be perfectly honest. He's, he's done well enough and played well enough and worked hard enough not to get dropped. So we'll wait and see what Mikel Arteta does. I'm not sure if the new signing is going to be available or involved. Pablo Marie, uh, Shkodran Mustafi, of course, picked up an injury during the week. But it seems from his uh, social media posts that it's not anywhere near as bad as it looked on the night or as feared uh, afterwards. He was hopping around on the training ground uh, doing piggybacks with Mesut Ozil. So the zany guy is feeling okay. So, you know, he could be involved. Socrates, Louise, Rob Holding, etc., etc. are all there. So plenty for Mikel Arteta to decide and to uh, to work out ahead of this one. A win would obviously be very, very welcome because <laughs> we've only won two of our last 16 Premier League games, which is not a great record. I know things have been better under Mikel Arteta and I'm very excited, very enthused, uh, very optimistic about what he's doing, how he's doing it and what he can bring to the team and the club in the future. But we also need some points. We need some points on the on the board, on the table, under our belts, whatever way you want to put it. We need points. And uh, wins will beget wins. That's a very old Bible saying. I don't know if you know that one. It's from the book of Victorious, chapter 2, nil. And he says, uh, Thou shalt winneth, please, if you wouldn't mind. For verily, as God's children, we cannot abideth, not winneth this much. It's been a bit of a while since uh, I read that uh, that particular chapter of uh, the Bible. It's going to be mad, isn't it, when Marvel buy the rights to the Bible? That's going to be crazy. They're just going to have all these new characters. Samson and Mega Moses and uh, the Good Samaritan. Yeah. They need to take the franchise in a different direction. Watch out. It's going to happen, I promise. All right. I'm going to leave it there for now. Thank you, as ever, for listening. Remember, if you'd like to join us on Patreon, you'd be very welcome. You get access to extra bonus content and podcasts, including a brand new episode of Waffle coming next week, in which James and I talk about anything and everything except for Arsenal. There's loads of stuff there. It helps support what we do on the site. So you can join up for a fiver a month at patreon.com forward slash arseblog. James and I will be here on Monday, hopefully discussing a good win, a good result, a good performance, and whatever might have happened in the transfer for a window between uh, now at the time when I'm recording this on Thursday evening and the close of the window uh, at 11pm on Friday night. So, have yourselves a fantastic weekend. I'll talk to you on the next one. Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. I was sitting there doing the crossword stuck on six down. Former Chelsea captain, 
four letters. I had U-N-T. For the life of me, I couldn't work out what the first letter was. Then the guy walked into the office. He was a strange-looking cat, small but with a massive head, like a human space hopper. What do you want, mister, I said. Look, he said, I work a very important job. I think the people don't trust me anymore. Why's that, I said. I don't want to get into it, he said. Let's just say one or two deals didn't reflect so well on me. So you want me to build up your reputation, I said. Yeah, he said. Exactly. Then it came to me. Six down. Cunt, I said. Well, if that's your attitude, I'm leaving, he said. I'll find another P.I. I lose too many clients that way.